Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio. And you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Crystal Victoria is the embodiment of strength, having overcome many obstacles along the way to becoming a success. At a young age, Crystal embarked on a journey that would leave her life forever changed. From an A honor roll to Texas jail cells, drug abuse, juvenile detention centers, and the street life. When Crystal was 19 years old, she traveled to five different countries and went a full trip around the globe, all expenses paid. This trip planted the very important seed that would soon grow into the life she'd always dreamed, but not without forcing her to awaken to a higher purpose. Her recent book, The Vicious Cycle, A Key to Unlocking the Revolving Door, is a practical guide to assisting others to change from a negative to a positive mindset. Her first book, From the Streets to the Skies, No Limits, 
Diary of a Boss Lady, is in the process of becoming a short independent film to inspire our youth to stay out of trouble and reach for greater goals through education and positive thinking. Crystal Victoria, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Greetings. Hello. Oh, hi, Crystal. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? I'm I'm great. I'm really excited. You know, um you know, you have such an amazing story and this is what I've been thinking about all week. This amazing story that you have, you know, we've heard some of it before, but it just doesn't end well the way it does with you. And that's what's so exciting about your rendition. So <laughs> just give us a, a I guess we have to really start somewhere. So tell us about what was it like growing up in your household and some of the things that sort of made you who you are? Well, uh, growing up in my household was very, very lonely. I was the only child. Um, all I had was things. Um, I used to do a lot to, you know, get friends and have people around, and I wasn't very cute. So I got, you know, teased and bullied a lot. So I was overweight and then I was uh I had a, I had a jerry curl and and I just wasn't, you know, just the cutest kid alive. But I had a great personality, you know, the things you say about other people that may not be so attractive. But um, you know, it was consistently, you know, consistently uh, a bullying, hateful, uh very mm. experience that diminished my self-esteem on a lot of levels. Uh, I grew up, you know, with a lot of lack of confidence. I had confidence in certain areas, but not in everything. You know, I had confidence in uh, my intelligence. I knew I was smart. I had uh, confidence in my family and the love that surrounded me, but I didn't have the confidence um, to understand and accept the fact that some people just are not going to like you and you have to just be okay with that. Um, I didn't have the confidence to withstand peer pressure and influence and wanting love and acceptance from other people. So, so that was kind of my issue. Right. Did you come from a, um, a strict upbringing? Wasn't very strict. Um, mm -hmm. My mother was probably one of the most easygoing people ever. And she wasn't like this to uh, the point of, you know, lacking control. Uh, my mother knew I was smart. She had raised me in the church. She had done her best. I had these great influences around me as it relates to my family, always good influences. Um, mm. But, you know, it was just that, you know, just I just didn't have, once again, the confidence. Um, and I think even though she tried to instill that in me and, and tell me I was beautiful and tell me I was smart, you know, we, we just sometimes we need it from an outside source. Right, right. So so tell us the, the, the major impact. How did this weigh on you as you, you grew older? How did this begin to change who you are? Well, it made me hateful. Um, mm. and, and then it also made me... Um, willing to, you know, do anything for some attention. Um, mm. I wanted attention. I wanted acceptance. I think, you know, peer pressure, being a, being a teen, and we think kids don't have any worries, but, man, they really do, especially nowadays with all this social media and networking. And, you know, I think, just to be real honest, if I was a kid growing up right now with the stuff that used to go on with me, 
I'd have been suicidal. I'd probably killed myself by then. Um, I would come out of class, you know, and you'd hear rumors and, and things of that nature. But, you know, a good rumor would take uh, a couple days to spread around school. You know, nowadays, if someone's mad, they can blast a whole rumor in a matter of seconds. And everybody know, your mom know, their parents know, and it's just embarrassing. So how do you um how do you stay strong in this type of environment? And for the the youth nowadays, like I said, I have so so much compassion and love for. They are really truly stronger than we realize. Um and I I think that you know, a lot of that difficulty and our lack of understanding how hard it is and remembering where we were as kids. You know, we wanted friends. We like, you know, to be in the in crowd and things of that nature. We may tell our kids to be yourself and you don't need them, but that's from our years of experience. We don't, we forget, we tend to forget how important that was to us at some point. Hmm. So tell us, so, when when things started to spiral out of control, when they when they first started, I, I want you to tell me the the first incident of you sort sort of acting out. And I want to know too, did your parents really understand that there was something going on, that there was a change occurring in you? Um, okay, so to answer your first question, what was the first incident that made me act out? And when I when I noticed. Uh <laughs> You're bringing back all my funny stories. <laughs> funny to me now. <laughs> so I was uh, I was in class. I, my mom uh, had taken the evening shift at work, so my mom was working from 4 p.m. to midnight. And you know, thinking back on this, this was the first point, but I probably have never thought about that until you asked me. So it's interesting for me to even reflect back because I can actually recall it. So. I'm uh, at school. My mom must be at work at four. My mom didn't have uh, a way, you know, I didn't have transportation because I lived outside of the school district or the school that I went to. So what my mom would do was come to my school, pick me up about 10 minutes before school was over so she could be at work on time. You know, school gets out about 3.50. And so uh, she had made, you know, talk to the principal and explain the situation. They said, okay, we're going to let Crystal leave class at 3.30 every day, no matter what class she's in, so that you can be at work at 4 o'clock. So this particular day, um, I, my, my mom, I, I, had, I was, in, I was uh, in school suspension for some reason. I really don't remember. But, um that wasn't, I can say that wasn't the turning point. But um, at this day, you know, I had went up to the teacher, you know, nicely told her, you know, I, uh, my mother is coming to get me at 3.30. Could you please call, you know, the principal to verify that I'm, I'm supposed to be leaving and I've got to go. And she pretty much, uh, you know, reacted to me like I was lying and blah, blah, blah. And I got immediately nervous and then kind of angry because I know I had been doing this for months. And um, I kind of got some fears about my mom is going to kill me if she's late to work, lady. Like, you know, you have no idea what I'll go through at home. And and instead of me probably just walking out of the classroom and just, you know, saying I'll, I'll deal with that later tomorrow at school, I cussed the teacher out and told her, you know, my mom is going to beat your ass, for lack of a better word. And <laughs> and got in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so typically, you know, whereas my mom would not have sided with me, 
Uh, you know, I wasn't honest, and I didn't tell my mom I cussed out. I just told my mom, well, she didn't want to let me leave, and now I'm in trouble and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so my mom went and had a talk with, you know, the principal, and they were like, well, she said, you know, she, she cussed me out and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, no, I didn't because I didn't want to get in trouble at home. And it was at that point where I guess that little ha-ha moment came in, and I was like, you know, I kind of, I noticed right then, that's not normal, but I really acted out. Uh, what I can say is I was a little upset with my mom for taking that shift. I knew she did it for the right reasons to pay bills and to take care of me. She did it for great reasons. I have an amazing mother. Um, but I was a little upset. You know, I had played sports and, you know, I wanted to go to after school functions and it was enough that I was already lonely as an only child, but now I had to deal with going home to an empty house in the evening. Um, mm. And I kind of was upset with her about it. And at that time in my life, I could not articulate it, nor did I really understand what the true core problem was. I was lonely. I wanted friends. I needed my mom. She couldn't be there. Um, and, and how selfish of me to be upset. Because my mom works her butt off to give me this beautiful house and to have a nice car. That's so selfish for me to feel that way. And all of those mixed emotions, you know, led to just inner anger and me reacting and lashing out to people, uh, which even more so, you know, led me off the road. So, you know, did my mom notice, my mom knew something was wrong, but she could not get it out of me. Uh, she didn't mm. know what to ask. Um, she mm -hmm. didn't understand the my need for people. She, you know, for her, mm -hmm. it was simple. Leave them alone. You don't need them friends. They're not your friends anyway. Blah, blah, blah. Why can't she just be alone? And I, and I could be alone. But heck, at that time, I was a teenager. And being alone for that many years would just gotten to me. I was sick of it. And, you know, my mom comes from a household of nine children. She was eight of nine. Mm -hmm. And to go from that and, and wanting to be alone, she was wanting my life. You know, I wanted hers. I wanted all those people around, even if they did get on my nerves. Um, and so, you know, we had total different dynamics and generations. There was such a generational gap between her and I. My mom was 30 years old when she had me. And, uh, you know, it, it was just so different, you know, thirty with 30-year 30 difference and nine kids in a household versus, you know, uh, a youth with technology and and uh, the only child. It's just it was just like night and day. Oh, Crystal, but you gotta you gotta come back to a certain point. You said your mom couldn't get it out of you because she didn't know what to ask. Um, mm -hmm. Are you a mother now? I'm not. Well, let me just ask this question the way it is. Then, what do you think she could have asked that would have and brought you, you around? And, you know, there isn't – I don't have an answer, and let me tell you why. Because mm -hmm. I don't think there's very much that she could have asked. Um, mm -hmm. In some cases, words aren't necessary. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just have to do something. And But what do you do when you don't know what to do and you don't know what to ask? Well, like a lot of our population in our society today, well, you do nothing. Or you continue to do what you've been doing. If you don't know better, you can't do better. You don't, she does, she didn't know. And, you know, there was nothing she could have asked because if she asked me the right question, I wasn't in a state where I could really tell her. I could tell her it was a lot of things, 
but really as it relates to what it is and what it was that I now realize looking back, I couldn't have told her I didn't know myself. Hmm. So let me ask you a question then, Crystal. The rebellion, what was that? That There was something in that that um, you connected with. Was it the attention? What was it? Control? Tell. It, it was the attention. It was the attention. Rebelling got me the attention that I needed from my mom that I felt that I couldn't ask for. Um, Mm. and and didn't know to ask for. Uh, Mm. When I was rebelling and in trouble, my mom had to take off from work and had to come home. And even though she irritated me the whole time she was there because I was in trouble and getting fussed at, um, you know, it was that, you know, she I got her attention, and now these people like me and they think I'm cool, you know, or whatever the Mm. case, you know. And and sometimes, you know, my my target audience (laughs) was not healthy. (laughs) So you had people that probably did think I was cool, but it was another side of people that I wasn't paying attention to that thought I was crazy. So, you Mm. know, it was just Mm -hmm. kind of that attention, though. It was that attention. When I was doing well, my mom didn't pay me any attention. She patted me on the back. She bought me everything under the sun, but she didn't give me attention. She wasn't being there. Wow. So I have to I have to at this point give people a peek into where we're headed right now. Um, and, mm-hmm. and we'll just double back and pick up right where we are. But I just want to um, ask the question because we're trying to, to look at the progression, you know, because, uh, you know, things led to um, sex, uh, drugs and prostitution and so many other things that are over the top. Um, which one started first? Where did you go from this point of rebellion? Uh, drugs. Um, and yeah, drugs and alcohol and, and and I say drugs, but let me, let me clarify that. I started Mm. smoking weed. I started Mm -hmm. smoking cigarettes and, and drinking wine coolers and booms farms. But more importantly, I stayed high. I I stayed smoking weed and skipping school to go smoke weed. Um, and you know, I didn't experiment with anything else till I was clear out of high school, but, uh, you know, yeah, at that time, you know, I started smoking weed and, you know, that got me attention and, and, you know, just that, uh, that little girl, um, low self-esteem, you know, I transitioned and started, you know, having sex and, um, you know, ended up, you know, sleeping with a guy that I really liked and got pregnant. He hurt my feelings, which led me to the I hate men stage where I was, you know, didn't care. was just wanting to see what I could get out of men and things of that nature, which led to prostitution. Mm. It was it was truly progressive one thing after another. Um, it, and, and I can't always say it was influence. It was just um, results of me reacting to the way I felt and not being now, able to to creatively express it. Okay. Now, Crystal, from that point of rebellion, how old were you then when that first started, when you talked about your mom taking that uh, later shift to mm-hmm. the point where um, you actually had started drugs and the alcohol and the smoking cigarettes? I was all around the same time. So I was about, I was 14, 15. Mm-hmm. So at this point, you were really just spiraling out of control, um, just pushing the limits. Um, What was your dad's role in your life at this time? My father passed away when I was six months old. Oh, Uh, My mom never married. She never married. Mm. So my grandfather was like my dad. And uh, and that ended up being another sore spot for me. My grandfather and and an amazing dad he was. 
he uh, developed Alzheimer's, and mm-hmm. and his memory was fading in and out. And you know, my grandmother was calling to my mom a lot, and you know, your dad, your dad went out and forgot where he was again, and blah blah blah, and woke up and forgot how to put on his pants, or you know, those types of things. And that was breaking me apart a little bit as well. Um, mm. That didn't get real bad till I was about 22, but it was around the age that I was 14 or 15 that he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and he his whole his uh, his entire you know um, just he just started declining um, the memory uh, his total mental capacity just started declining, um, and and that was very frustrating for me. I have uncles, but at that point it was too late for me to reach out to them because I had started getting in trouble and I had pretty much disappointed a lot of my family. And so they mm-hmm. didn't know what to do. Um, the mm-hmm. one person that could reach me was having a health issue where he couldn't really remember. And then I questioned, I'm not even sure if I'd have really let him close to me because I love my grandfather so much. The last thing I would have done was disappoint him. Um, so, you know, it was just that lack of um, a positive role, male role model. They're giving me that, you know, that, um, that reinforcement and male love, which made me so vulnerable to men. Right. Wow. So let's talk about some of the things that caused um, you to have to um, go to juvenile detention and, you know, let's work our way up from there. And what did you think, what was the thing you did first and what did you think when you actually had to pay the price? Um, what I did, and this is another crazy story. So the first time I got in trouble and went to juvenile, I called the police on myself. That's huh? just what I did. Okay, mm-hmm. now I wasn't ready for that. I had to reset now. Let me write some notes. Hold mm-hmm. on. <laughs> what? <laughs> you you called See, the police and, on and yourself? People, was it... Right, and you would think, like I said, I'm a, I'm a typical teenager, you know what I'm saying? Rebellious, absolutely. But criminal, not so much. I called the police on myself because my mom threatened to call them on me, and it hurt my feelings. And um, the whole situation was she had went out of town one weekend. I was supposed to be at another friend's house, uh, staying the night. Instead, I bought my little fast behind home to have a guy over and, you know, smoke more weed and drink and do what I wanted to do. Well, my mom came home early and, and you know, found weed and just flipped out on me and threatened to call the police and, you know, I had already had one rebel incident too many, um, and and my mouth had not gotten me in trouble yet. And so this particular time, I thought I was a tough girl. I thought I was a tough girl. I told her, you want me to go to jail? You want to call police on me? Fine. And that's where I'll go. And I called them. And they came and got me. They put me in handcuffs, and I cussed her all the way out to, I cussed her out all the, way to the police car. And wow. um, now, see, I, I hear something that's really strange now because you're saying you didn't want her to do it, but you did it. But then you still disrespected her by cursing her out. So, what was the real reason that you did not allow your mom to call the police? Well, she wasn't going to call them. It wasn't that I didn't allow her to. She was just threatening me because she was mad. However, mm. at that time, keep in mind. I am at I'm I'm at home every day from four to midnight and I'm upset mm-hmm. about it. You know what I'm saying? Now I don't know that. I'm not really acknowledging that, 
but I don't have I don't have anybody at home with me. You know, I'm sick of being alone. I don't, you know, I, I'm looking for friends. I'm at a, a crucial age in my life where I'm trying to figure it out. I'm developing an identity. People hate me. Uh, you know, I'm having a lot of trouble at school. Rumors constantly getting started. You know, my my father figure is going. You know, he's lost his memory, and all of those things. All of those things. Now, you, you were saying this all began because you wanted attention. Now you have all the wrong attention. How did that make you feel at mm-hmm. that point? Yeah, and that's even worse. Mm. Even worse. And that added, that was fuel to the fire. You know, emotions, mm-hmm. what I've learned, you know, is just, you know, our emotions, when we don't deal with them or, you know, we don't express them in a positive way, or channel them and transmute them how they need to be done. They go in our brains and reorganize and come out and affect other areas of their life. Our life. You can't stuff your emotions. You just can't. Um, mm-hmm. I can't, especially. I, I, I really can't. I don't do well with feelings. Uh, when I'm hurt, it is not, it, it, in the past when I was hurt, I did not respond well to it. I reacted to it. And my, hurt, mm-hmm. my feelings were hurt. Um, I had a reaction. And a lot of my reactions were self-destructive, not against other Mm -hmm. people, but self-destructive. Right, right. Yeah, and that's evident in your behavior, actually calling the police Mm -hmm. on yourself and making matters worse, but still trying to take control, but losing control in the end. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, um, I don't know if we're up to the point yet, but it's really amazing to me to hear about this this trip. I want to understand where did this come from and where were you at the time where this opportunity came to you to be able to to take this trip that changed your life? Well, see, between that stuff going on and when I turned 19, this is five years and and so much happened in five years. Uh, In fact, so much happened in seven years. It, It was unreal. From the age of about 14 to 21, I swear I had lived three or four lifetimes because Mm. it was constant dynamics, up, down, highs, lows, uh, extremes, from one extreme to another consistently, you know, without a a balance in the middle. Mm. So, you know, I go to juvenile, I get put on probation, you know, and I'm going to speed you up, 14, 15, get put on probation. I straighten up, you know, for a hot minute, but I'm still running around here smoking weed and drinking. Um, but I constantly keep a job. I always kept a job. My grades were still good. I was still a straight A student. So, you know, for my mom, it's like, yeah, she's got some behavior issues, but the girl is smart and she'll work and take care of her darn self. How, what do you do as a parent? You know what I'm saying? What is your complaint? Should I get on her for bad behavior or should I leave her alone because her grades are good? Should I get on her because she's, she, because she gives me hell or should I leave her alone because she goes to work and takes care of herself and pays her bills? What should I do? And without having to be told, my mom never had to tell me to get a job. She never had to pay, tell me about money and that I needed it. I always try to work and try to help her also. So, um, you know, there was a lot of, like I said, a real extremes in my life from 14, you know, 16, 17. Um, at, at one point, you know, I just said I went to juvenile again for missing school because then my problem was no longer that, you know, I was uh, – you know, it was not ever really criminal. I was just not following the rules. 
on a consistent basis. Um, You know, just didn't want to go to school, got kicked out of school, went to juvenile for truancy, then, you know, just uh, made it off probation, then driving down the street and all of the stuff I call myself the police on. Uh, myself for when I was 14, which happened to be drug paraphernalia. He got my license suspended. So I'm 17 driving down the street, didn't know my license was suspended, accidentally donutted in the middle of the street. Police pulled me over, ran my name, saw my license was suspended, went, took me to jail. You know, it's like, what the heck? I catch a new adult charge. So I'm like, okay, at that point I was like, all right, I don't know what's going on with this life of mine, but whatever it is, I'm done. I checked out. Um, did graduate from high school, um, enrolled at UTA, had a great job. I was a chiropractor's assistant for an amazing chiropractor. Um, and, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to pack up my stuff. I'm going to move, go get my own apartment in Louisville because I don't like life right now. You know, I, I'm very upset. Um, in the background, my fa- my grandfather's situation had deteriorated even more. He didn't even recognize who I was half the time. Um and, you know, of course, tension between me and my mom. Uh, people had started rumors about me having AIDS and smoking crack and stuff at school. And I just got to the point where before I was, before I quit school, I said I'm a switch. And I told myself, if I do not finish school now, I will not finish. I went to another school, you know, um, and got to do things on my own pace. And, uh, finished in the top 10% of the class in front of me, graduated a year and a half early. And, you know, now to the point where I've moved and I enrolled in school at UTA and I live in, uh, in Louisville. So I'm about 18 at the time. And, um, I'm just experimenting with, you know, one thing after another, not still not really heavily into drugs, just, you know, different things to do to make money and, and all kinds of stuff. So, um, you, what do you I mean had a car wreck. To, to make money, what do you mean in selling drugs? Or? Well, I was yeah, I was selling drugs. I was selling drugs, um, mm. and you know, just looking into just different things. You know, I considered stripping. I had some friends that was a stripper. However, I hadn't built up the courage yet, um, and so you know, I would hang around, but I wouldn't do it just yet. Um, and right before my 18th birthday, I had a car wreck in which I totaled my car and almost killed myself. And well, I didn't almost kill myself. Somebody almost killed me. It wasn't my fault. Um, and, uh, now I didn't have a car and that car, I had a brand new Mustang and that was my baby and I broke down even further. So, you know, I'm saying, okay, quit school, move back home. Um, end up meeting a guy, end up trying cocaine. Okay. So I started, I'm on that stint for a while, end up catching, you know, the, my felony charges, uh, forging checks and things of that nature, you know, spiraling even further down, you know, into different things. And then there's light at the end of the tunnel. So I have a friend and from school because I went to UTA, and he was always crazy about me and just a good person. So he says, let me take you to my country. I want you to meet my family. And I'm like, what, you know? I, I couldn't go, you know, no, I, I can't do that. And he says, well, no, I want to take you. I, I think you, you know, I think, you know, they want, they want to meet somebody from America and I think it'll do you good. So I'm thinking, I don't have the money, dude. He said, don't worry, I'll pay for everything. So when he said that, okay, you know, didn't think about going over there getting kidnapped or losing <laughs> my life. I had known and him wh- for several years. I went to Nepal. I went to Kathmandu, Nepal. 
Oh, no. um, so he 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 paid for my passport, and I had just violated probation. So mm. I was looking to run anyway. I said, I just want to get away from here. I don't want to go to jail. I, I whatever. Let's do it. So he paid. We took off. We um, you know left out. We landed in San Francisco, um, and then um, from San Francisco we landed in Taipei, Taiwan. And we were there for a few hours, and I was just like, oh, my God, I really did this. So we left Taipei, Taiwan, but I'm enjoying every moment. We go to Bangkok, Thailand, um, and we're there for a little while. And I'm like, this is a long flight. I didn't never think it would take two days to get anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we finally get to Kathmandu, Nepal, and, you know, I was just like, was not prepared for that. I was not prepared for what I saw. Um, and the first 10 minutes I was getting ready to pass out, you know, they, at this time, Nepal, Kathmandu was a third world country. So mind you, I just leave civilization and spoiled America to go to a third world country with no knowledge of where I was going. I didn't do any research on Nepal before I left. I didn't look into <laughs> anything. I just said, go, let's roll, you know, let's do this. So I get there, I'm in a culture shock. There's dirt roads, there's no street signs, everybody is just driving all over the place and honking everywhere. There's ladies walking down the street with beautiful wicker baskets on their heads full of vegetables and crops. There's rolls of hills, the Himalayan mountain range, the landscape was beautiful, the air and the oxygen was clean and and free, and I'm in this country and it just looks like it's straight out of my history book i saw this place when i was in the sixth grade it was in the world history book i know i remember um mm. and mm. it was just it was like i did not think it was real i was like a place like this really exist like i thought this was i thought the history book was just that history i thought this was 30 40 years ago what they were doing but this is how these people were living in 2005 they had no modern technology. They still built buildings by hand. And they were a simple people that were so satisfied and comfortable and happy uh, about the simple things in life. They valued their landscape and their culture and their beauty, their panoramic views. They were very moral people, very respectful, and just treated me like absolute royalty. I mean, they thought mm. I was American celebrity, somebody. And I was just in culture shock still, like, you know, like, oh, my God. So my friend had had, he uh, he didn't stay with me. He stayed, you know, at home, his family, took me in a five-star hotel, and he had his cousin, who was a taxi cab driver, and his brother be my bodyguards. So he would tell them, here's money. She can go wherever she wants to go. Take her if she wants to buy something. You tell me you point, you point at what they you want. You tell them and they'll go work your deal so they don't try to take your money. Take plenty of pictures and just you know call me if you need me. You know and I'm like okay, okay you know let's do it. And they took me all over Nepal. My I have pictures on top of pictures on top of pictures. I saw things from different views, and I think I was the highlight of these guys' week because I kept them laughing because I had one crazy question after another. And it was, like, not crazy to me, but it was crazy to them because they had never been over here. They didn't understand America. They wanted to come over here. They're like, 
all the stuff you describe about America. He's, she's so beautiful. You know, I wish I could go and see an amusement park. They didn't know what none of this stuff was. I mean, they, for God's sake, some of them didn't even have washer machines. I, I kid you not, out of my hotel room. I had first off the most beautiful view of the Himalayan mountain range, and I could see Mount Everest in the di- in the distance. So I'm mm. looking at the tallest mountain in the world, and I'm looking at it over these uh, brick um, kind of clay made houses. Where at the top of the house they have clotheslines and stuff, and you see ladies out there with wash it, washing bins, washing tubs, out there washing clothes and hanging them out to dry. Like, Mm. I'm like, oh, my goodness, is this 2005? Um, So we're going through this museum, and they have this beautiful uh, uh, palace that they're they're building. So I'm walking around, I'm looking, and it's all high-carved wood. And if you've ever seen any designs of Eastern tradition, they are absolutely immaculately beautiful. Um, And so we're walking around this, this palace, and I'm looking at the sign, and it says, Palace won't be completed till 2055. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what? You know, and I stop. Hey, wait a minute. I'm, I'm calling my friend. Here, here, 2055. Are you people crazy? And he's just gone laughing. He's like, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't do technology. We don't have a machine. We don't, you know, they don't have technology. And I'm like, are you people crazy? Like, 2055, who who takes 50 years to build a palace? And see, at that point, I think it had been being built already for about 10, 20 years. So all of these different things, um, and I'm in this country of these happy people. I mean, these happy people. These are not bickering, angry people. These are happy people. What I noticed, how I saw it, was happy people with what an American, from an American and Western civilization point of view, don't have anything to be happy about. I mean, they don't have any real nice cars. They don't have any nice houses. Their average monthly income at that time was between eight and fifteen hundred dollars a month. I mean, we couldn't even live off. We couldn't even think about that type of money. You know, I mean, when that was chump change to us. But these people that are so happy and have beautiful spirits and beautiful faces and beautiful culture and beautiful art, art, lots of art, um, beautiful clothing. They were just happy, and I wanted what they had. I wanted that. So that was the turning point because it taught me that all of the the material things that I had been led to believe and all of the external things that I had been led to believe up until that point that would make me happy was not where happiness was. And it caused Mm. me to start looking elsewhere. Mm. It's interesting. Now, it, it seems to me, too, that something was addressed um, in your rebellion. Um, you you only wanted attention, and, and this place, you had all the attention you could ever want. Um, tell us about what, what did that really feel like to you? That must have been quite um, a culture shock as well as um, a shock to your system as well to have all of this focus and attention on you finally. Yes, it was a culture shock. Uh, it it was, but I felt like the the sincerity. It was like they didn't know who I was, and I wasn't nobody. At the same time, they didn't look at me and see um, this troubled youth. They didn't look at me and see this bad mm. girl. They didn't look mm. at me and see this black girl. They didn't look at me and see... Um, or hear or judge me based on my proper accent. Um, They didn't look at me and see, you know, my mom's great job or our nice house and new cars. They just looked at me 
they just, you know, like, yeah, you're here and we're glad you are and we're glad to see you and we want to show you our world and what it's all about. And, mm. you know, it was for no other reason than just pure friendship, just pure no, friendship. No, right. No judgment. No judgment. I never slept with anybody, never compromised my integrity or anything else to go on the trip or on the trip. Nothing happened. I was totally protected, and that could have been divine order, but um, I felt so safe. I've never felt that safe in my life. I did not worry about anything, um, and and it wasn't because of the abundance of money or anything. It was just because of the love and the compassion and the simplicity. If they can appreciate a mountain or a view, if they can appreciate um, work to the point where they are willing to build a building by hand and, and not let it be done until 2055, you know, then I have a hard time believing they would devalue a human life. Wow. Yeah, that that's that's pretty awesome. Now, at the time that you left, um, you were still abusing alcohol, doing drugs and all of these things, correct? I was still, you know, but on the trip I was clean. I didn't touch anything. A little drink, yeah. a few and, drinks. And it, and it was very easy for you to make that transition, or were you at a point mm-hmm. where you had wished that you could get some of what you had before? So, I don't know. I didn't think about it on the trip. I was on the trip and just just, just enjoying life, you know, which, you know, it, mm. it confirms um, something that I already know and truly to my heart believe. Drug use and all those things are symptoms of much larger and deeper problems. They right. Are. Thank um, you. That's what you I know, was getting. They, <laughs> so you were self-medicating something. Right, right. Self-medicating yeah. loneliness, lack of mm. acceptance. You know, and and not having my mom's physical presence, having her presence as a material thing, and not her presence, and and then you know not accepting myself. I hated myself. I everything that people had said about me, and all of the things that were going wrong in my life, led me to believe I was a bad person. That was unworthy of love and attention or anything happy and positive. And so I just didn't see it, and I didn't seek it out because in my mind, I'm this bad kid. I'm this bad person that does bad things, and I just don't know why. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm this selfish person. I had a lot of guilt and shame, which I always say are deadly combinations because I was a, you know, I felt selfish because I wanted my mom to be at home instead of out at work paying and working hard for the material things she wanted to provide me to give her me a better life than what she had. I had a lot of feelings going on on the inside, which are all normal and they're all valid. Yeah, I had every right to feel that way. But at the same time, you have kids that see that in their parents and they do well because of it. They're like, my mom worked hard for me to have this, this and that. You know, they're not as requiring of their parents, you know, um, their time and their, you know, their closeness. I was the type of kid that demanded it because I didn't have anybody else to give it to me. I didn't have two brothers and sisters. My father had passed. Mm-hmm. So those things played a part. Um, mm-hmm. And, yes, drug use is a symptom of much larger problems, which is what I have always, you know, felt and realized. I was, yes, self-medicating, self-destructing, destroying this person that I was or trying to destroy this person I had become that I didn't like and trying to figure out why my mom didn't want to be at home with me instead wanted us to have houses and cars. 
you know, for me, I never valued that stuff. At the same time, I've never been without it, which is probably mm. why I didn't value it. You know, which is, you know, a lot of parents don't think about that. Struggle is the best thing for your kids. I don't care what you say. Struggle is the best thing for kids because in it, they learn the value of hard work. If they, if they take it correctly, if it's taught to them right. You know, some people believe struggle is bad and things of that nature. And I never want my mm-hmm. kids to go through that. But at the same time, those things made you the great person that you are today. So struggle isn't bad. You know, right. and, and right. sometimes our, our kids and our youth, their lack of struggle and their lack of understanding the difficulties that our ancestors faced for us to have opportunities or that our parents faced for us to have opportunity, that lack of appreciation and gratitude via connection to it makes us devalue it. We don't appreciate it. We don't understand it because we want things that are so much simpler than what everyone is trying to give us. We want love. We want purpose. And that's what I wanted. We want attention. We want we want everyone to just get along. We we want friendship. We want companionship. We want this separation and this division that takes place in our society via your race, your social economic status, or your background, or whatever case, to just go away. We all just want to get along at the end of the day, but we cover those things up with external things. That simple happiness that that people over there across the seas had is what I wanted, and when I got a glimpse of it, there was nothing, there was something, there was something so powerful and profound about having that peace and that simple love, that simple um, care and compassion that you give to other humans for no reason. It was something so profound about it, it changed my life. Hmm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I hear it. I hear your passion. I mean, and I love how we've gone from your story and talking about your complex issues and then this experience. And I I really feel that you've given our listeners the opportunity to understand just how powerful this this whole um, exposure to a brand new world brought your mind uh, to a brand new level of thinking and understanding of yourself and the world around you. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Well, thank you. You know, I'm at the end of the day, I have, I, I, can't say that I pride myself on it, but I'm truly working. And and one one thing that I I started doing a few years ago is I started meditating. I started mm-hmm. meditating. I started studying more about the Eastern spiritual cultures and things of that nature. And I kind of became open to their points of views and their belief systems. Um, you know, just because I had to get out of religion for a minute, you know, and get out of my own box. And start realizing that other people's opinions and their belief systems are not necessarily wrong or right. And on top of that, who am I to judge? It is my job to love them, period. And wanting to have that peace on a consistent basis um, has led me to deep, deep study of myself and analysis of everything that I've done. You know, and and just on a on a more personal level, you know, what I've begun to study and starts starts with one maxim, know thyself and you will know the universe and the gods. You got to know yourself and you got to know who you are. When people say know who you are, people want to immediately associate that with a color, a race, or a culture. No, no, no. Know thyself. Know that you are a spiritual being having a profound human experience, and it is an experience, and you're supposed to learn from all of it. 
You're just supposed to learn from it. And you're not supposed to fight with our brothers and sisters. We are supposed to love them all. We're not supposed to judge anybody. We're supposed to love everybody. I don't care what you believe, who you are, what you look like, what your makeup is. And our lack of our ability to do so on a regular basis destroys our children, destroys our society, and destroys our peace on a global level. Because we're always focused on differences, what makes us different. And then we don't realize how much hurt and pain we are causing that person that's a victim of that. You know, we always want to impose our belief systems and our thoughts on other people without just letting people just be people. You know, if they don't, you know, agree with me or believe me, uh, something's wrong with them because of their lack of conformity. But everyone isn't supposed to conform to everyone else's way of thinking. We're supposed to be different or else why were we all created different? We're all created different yet equal. You know, we're all spiritual beings. We're all here um, embodying divine love. We're all children of God. So, you know, we are all supposed to love this this race, our society, our world is supposed to work like a human body. When your body is sick, when something on you is not well, your whole body works together to heal that part. And so often we don't because we're too busy judging um things, judging everything about things instead of just truly walking, you know, that is what leads to peace. The inner core things that money cannot buy is where our happiness and our freedom lies. And I just really, really, you know, I, I really understand that now in a deeper level than I did before. You know, I really, it, it took me years to figure out what it was about that country and that group of people and that experience in my life that changed me. Mm. You know, but it's the power of one thing, and that is love. It is the power of love. That is how powerful love is. Mm. How love can change anything, but it's got to be real love, non-judgmental love. You can't say, I'm going to love you as long as you think my way. I love you as long as you look like me. I love you as long as you act like me, you dress like me. No. You got to love everybody in spite of our differences. And worry more about our similarities. We all bleed red. We all got two arms and two legs. You know, ten fingers, ten toes. Hey, we we're a race, man, and and we're here to love and to love each other and to support each other. And I'm just so grateful that that group of people accepted me like that, without knowing. Wow, look, Crystal. Believe it or not, we're almost at the end. Can you believe it? She oh knows. man! Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Uh, I knew it would happen like this, but I um. You definitely exceeded my expectations, but I oh, did want yay. to. Yeah, <laughs> I did want to give you the opportunity to tell people a little bit about uh, the vicious cycle as well, and um, we'll probably have to have you on again, Crystal. Really. Oh, well, that's fine. So, the vicious cycle is a practical guide for people that want to have embody that peace um, who are going through vicious cycles, i.e. jails, prisons, institutions, places I've been. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like they all need what I have to give about what I just talked about. But in addition Mm -hmm. to that, any practical application of it. So knowledge is nothing without applying it. You know, you can't have faith without works. So, you know, what my goal is with the vicious cycle is, for one, to teach people what's going on with you mentally. See, everything I just articulated to you about what was going on with me, see, I can articulate that in writing in a book and tell other people what may be wrong with them. 
Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And I added in some practical exercises that I do, things that I do on a daily and regular basis to invoke positive thinking and action, i.e. meditation, gratitude lists, um, you know, vision boards, um, thinking, you know, thinking positively on a consistent basis, no matter how hard. Um, all of those things are in the book, and it talks about those things and teaches people that are incarcerated how to change your life by changing your thinking um, and mm-hmm. your thought patterns and incorporating positive daily habits into your life daily. Um, and so I've created a whole system around it called Unlocking the Revolving Door, um, and it's just about in, in helping those that are incarcerated. You know, over half of our population is affected by the judicial system and by recidivism, people going in and out. And 98% of those people that go to jail come out and end up back out or on our streets and around us and our children. And we don't know who's who. We just like to hope everybody's walking around like they got some sense, right? But we really don't know. And we don't know how that person may be hurting, how they may be thinking wrongly. And so I wanted to take what I have learned and what's changed my life into um, the jails and to these people's lives so that they can see how how their thinking is creating and affecting their reality so that they start thinking a little wiser when they come home. Um, and we don't have to worry about them, you know, um, causing us pain and suffering and, and damaging our, our homes and, and families and, and things of that nature because of their feelings that they can't deal with. See, those people aren't necessarily criminal. they got a living problem. I have a problem yeah. something with emotions wow. like I did. You got to get back to that. They are not necessarily criminal. They have a living Criminals, problem. They got a living problem. They have a Ooh. living problem. They have wow. a living problem. They have a problem coping with living and life on life terms on a regular basis. They have a problem accepting that sometimes bad things just happen. Okay? Mm. We want mm-hmm. to, our human nature wants to explain everything. And here's an explanation. Learn from it and grow, okay? It's as simple (laughs) as that. It doesn't get any simple. Learn from this experience because you are, once again, a spiritual being having a human experience. Learn from all of the experiences. Stop judging them whether they're good or bad. Some of them will be both, okay? And learn the lesson and move forward and grow, okay? So these people are not doing that because they're too busy reacting to the circumstances and the test and the things that are coming in their life to make them grow. And they are resisting growth because they don't understand why it's happening. And it keeps happening. It's a vicious cycle. Oh, my God, why do I keep ending up there? Why did this keep happening to me? Well, stop thinking like that. Maybe the next time, instead of you reacting and cussing Susie May out, you need a hugger and say, I love you. It's okay. You, you know, there's, it's all about transitioning our mental and emotional capacity into positive, transmuting it, channeling it. And then in addition to that, taking back, you know, um, control over our economy. You know, we have got to start businesses, stop looking for jobs. So once you, once you have transmuted your negative thoughts to positive, okay, and you find a purpose, which I also talk about in that book, and, and about tapping into your purpose, for what reason are you alive and you're here? A lot of people don't know, and that's the reason why they don't do better. They don't think they have a purpose, but we all have one. So tapping into that purpose, activating your divine gifts, we all have them. The Bible says it. We don't use them because we don't know what they are because we don't have a purpose and we don't activate them and we're not thinking positive. You see this domino effect? Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. And taking these things and channeling them into positive entrepreneurial endeavors. 
Okay. Mm. You, you can't mm. expect to have freedom if somebody's writing your check. Okay. You are going to have to take care of yourself and, and start, you know, social entrepreneurial uh, endeavors, those type of things. So that is the formula that I use to help transition people's lives. That's reflected in the vicious cycle and everything that I do. Um, and so I'm excited this year. I have a entrepreneurial career school that's getting ready to launch. Um, Target Evolution Entrepreneurial Institute um, is a phenomenal program, a phenomenal board of directors. We have a great team. We've done a ton of work. Um, I've been working on this for four years, and we're just breaking ground in a lot of areas. So I'm just so grateful to be here. It's I'm I'm just grateful to well, be Crystal, here, and, and I don't the, mean that. Give them all the details mm-hmm. on that as well, dates, times, <laughs> how they can connect with you, everything. Okay, so um, my website is crystalvictoria.com, and it's spelled C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A.com. And you can view my website, links to my Facebooks, and gives you my email and all of my information and tells you everything that I do, all my press. My books are for sale on my website as well as on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, and ebook and those things. Um, so also my website for my school is teibiz.com, which once again, you can go to it from a website because that's a lot of rhyme and syllables, but, uh, you know, <laughs> view it. It's called, you can Google Target Evolution Entrepreneurial Institute, or you can Google Target Evolution Dallas, you know, um, or Crystal Victoria. It should all pop up. So that talks about our entrepreneurial program and what we're doing to just work with the youth and young adults ages 19 to 29. What we're trying to help them to do is first off, create a world for themselves. You know, we're not going to be in the future. We're, we're not, we're going to be, you know, they're going to be running. That's our future leaders and we have to equip them mm-hmm. properly so that they can take care of their children. Um, and so, you know, that's what this is all about. And I'm all about educating um, and encouraging people with entrepreneurship, education, and positive thinking. That's what my goal is. That is my whole mission is positive thinking, entrepreneurship, and education. So I'm all about wow. So wow, reach out Crystal. to me any any way you can. <laughs> yeah, we we will definitely post some information on my Facebook page as well. And Crystal, I just want to thank you for joining us. It was well worth it. You know, I have a new name for you, um, Crystal Victoria. I've just renamed you because you know it makes sense anyway. But I think your name is Clear Victory. That's what it means, Crystal <laughs> Victoria. Clear Victory. You've been reading my How book, haven't you? <laughs> no, I haven't read it yet. And let me tell you why. You have not can read. I... No, no why. Because I wanted to, when I read your book, I'm going to read it with your voice in my head. Now that I've spoken with you, that's what I'll hear when I read your book. And um, I'm looking very forward to it. (laughs) Well, the funny thing is what you just said is in my book, in the last chapter, that's what I said. My name is Crystal Victoria, and that means clear victory. So thank you you for that confirmation. I am so serious that I am not I I will send you an ebook after this is over and scan you to the page. I said clear (laughs) victory is what my name means. And my mom wasn't she she wasn't crazy, you know. I, my mom was smart when she said it. I guess she knew what she was doing. But you know, oh, hey, wow. I'm once again I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for the opportunity, Michael. You know, for all the listeners, the sky is not the limit because there are footprints on the moon. I challenge you to reach for the stars. I'm just so grateful to be here. Life is amazing. Life is beautiful, Thank and it's just getting Crystal. better. Time to close the it's show. But it was better. great. We we can't wait to have you back on. Okay, well, everybody...
Oh, sorry about that. Cut you off a little early, but special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordman, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.